Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We started a series a few weeks ago, just going through, kind of themed uh, through the book of Acts. And uh, so this is part six, we're at Acts chapter nine. So if you've missed any of this, it's on our Facebook page, it's on our YouTube channel, it's on our iTunes podcast, you can kind of get caught up. But I mentioned it. Last week, when we're coming into the book of Acts, we've gone from one of the saddest days in the history of the church, uh, which would be the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, to the explosion of the church 50 days later in Acts chapter 2. So we're really seeing lived out what Jesus said when he told the disciples, it is better for you that I go away. And if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And we are seeing that. So the book of Acts, if you're kind of new to it, the book of Acts records the first 30 years of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. All right. It records the first 30 years of the church after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. So last week, we, we focused on Saul and his persecution of the church. Uh, if you'll remember, Saul uh, filled with hate. You know, he was going house to house, uh, persecuting people. It said that believers were scattered all over the area. People, people left because of the, uh, the, the uh, persecution that was come to Jerusalem. One of those people that scattered and the story in 8 follows is a man named Philip. And it follows some of his exploits there. So Philip was not a leader, What one of the leaders of the disciples. He was more type B in his personality. But God uses type B people as well. So uh, we saw him go to Samaria and preach. And it was hostile. You know, the response was hostile. We saw him go to a man that was filled with witchcraft, Simon the sorcerer. We saw him approach uh, an Ethiopian government official and witness to him individually. And then we saw Peter and John because, you know, there was such a controversy that these Samaritans, these godless Samaritans, uh, they were getting reports that they were saved. So they sent Peter and John to check out what was going on in Samaria. And once they realized that these Samaritans had been saved and baptized, they laid their hands upon them and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So that's just kind of where we were at. Now we're going to kind of refocus the passage on Saul. So Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile... Saul, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, 
whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's just real quick back up on Saul. Saul is about 30 years of age, maybe a little younger than that, and he was raised in a strict Jewish home. Okay, we know that from his later testimony. He did the Sabbath you know, the, the Jewish Sabbath. He, he participated in the, the Jewish diet, uh, participated in all the ceremonies. Probably he was a Pharisee. I mean, he's a, we know he's a Pharisee, but probably his father was a Pharisee. Okay, very, you know, uh, kind of strict religious leaders. So Saul, in actuality, was a PK. Okay, so that explains a lot you know, about, about PKs, okay? So, so he was about 30 years of age, raised in a strict Jewish home. He was in Jerusalem. If you remember the story from last week, he was in Jerusalem for Stephen's trial and execution, and he is now headed toward Damascus. We just read that. They suspected, because of this persecution and the scattering of believers, they suspected that there were believers in Damascus. The scripture uses the term synagogues, plural, so it seems like there was a growing, emerging church in Damascus. You know, the gospel is, is taking root there, and and Saul is traveling to Damascus. Now, Damascus <clears throat> is about 140 miles by foot from Jerusalem to Damascus. It is hot. It is uphill almost the whole way. They don't have comfortable Birkenstock sandals to, to walk in. They just got this old hard leather. I mean, like, it's 140 miles, but... But nothing, you know, is like there's so much hate in his heart. I mean, there's nothing that would stop him from any persecution. I mean, like if that's me, I would send an intern to check that out. I mean, that's a long way to, that's a long way to walk. So, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He is so filled with hate. Just the thought of a believer or a church taking root in Damascus, he's got to go check it out for himself. So he's still in this mode of persecution. The passage that we just read said he's breathing out murderous threats. It's an unusual phrasing, but it's like this, this hate is so deeply rooted. It's like he's, it's part of his breath. It's part of his essence. He is consumed with anger. He is consumed with hate. So the passage that we read says that he goes to the high priest for legal letters of indictment. So please keep this in mind. This is a religious purge. He's not going to the civil authorities because of broken civil laws. He's going to religious leaders for letters of indictment because this is a religious purge. So he is headed to Damascus with these letters in hand in this frame of mind. These murderous, you know, threats are, are in his are in his heart. Here is this man, you know, that had the blood of the very first New Testament martyr splash across his feet not too, day, too many days before. He was the one that gave consent to the death of the very first martyr, Stephen, just a few days before. And he is headed toward Damascus with all this hate. Let's see what happens to him. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So he's got his group. They're headed to Damascus. He's got his letters of indictment with him. And then all of a sudden, man, there is a light that flashes that's like lightning just in a moment. It knocks him down. Either he was walking or riding. In an instant, he cannot, you know, he, he cannot see. And the Lord calls out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Saul is so steeped in his illogical religious hate that he doesn't even believe or have any idea what is happening. He even answers, who, who is this? He's so lost in his, in his hate and, uh, for, for the church and for, for God that even when he has this unusual spiritual experience, it does not even register to him what is happening. And the revealing of Christ is a shock to him. Don't you know when Jesus answered him back, Lord, when he said, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul probably went to himself, oh boy, oh boy, that's trouble. So, so, but, but can I tell you something too, that God had already been working in Saul's life, all right? We just see what happens here, but I think we discount some things that maybe Saul had witnessed over the course of time. Please remember, he's young enough where he probably was alive and living in Jerusalem at the latter time of Jesus. He was probably a young kid, early teenager. There's a great chance that he had some kind of interaction with Jesus and, and the apostles. But also, the, the death at Stephen, of Stephen, if you'll remember, Saul was the consenting government official for Stephen's execution. If you'll remember, when the witnesses took their coats off so that they could stone Stephen, Saul is the one that is holding the coat. Saul is in, in, in close proximity and sees this horrible, horrific execution taking place in front of him, but what he witnesses in that passage uh, that we see as it says Stephen's face shines like an angel because God will give you in the moment what you need. His face is shining like an angel and Saul hears Stephen's prayer that those to for, for God to forgive those who are executing him. And that had to have a powerful impact upon, uh, upon Saul. So I want to say to every family here today and you've got 
someone in your life that you feel like is hard-hearted, they're away from the Lord, they, they don't have any intention of serving God, I want you to know that God is always at work. God is speaking. God is moving. He doesn't always report back to us when, when he's had interaction with those that we, that, that, uh, that we are praying for. But I want you to, I just want to say, you keep praying, you keep believing, you keep living a good life in front of those who, you know, who you are witnessing to. But, but God was already revealing himself to Saul. So in the midst of this hate that he had for believers, something happens to Saul. He falls to the ground, trembling. He is blind. He hears a voice from heaven. Nobody else can can see what's going on. But Saul is the one that can hear. Now, let me just say this. All sin is terrible. It's all bad, okay? But it just seems like persecuting the church imprisoning believers, executing the saints. It seems like it's just a little bit worse, all right? Uh, listen to me. I believe in healings. I believe in miracles and signs and wonders, and we have seen them in our midst over the last couple of months. We've seen four people with medically verified healings. I believe in those things, and I think they are for today, but I want to tell you the greatest thing that God does is when he transforms the human heart and he saves someone. I believe that. So if anyone did not deserve salvation, it was Saul and the Lord gave it to him anyway. You may be here today and you go, I'm the worst person ever. And you may be, but I just want you to know that does not disqualify you from God's love and that does not disqualify you for a place at the foot of the cross. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you got to do is reach out to him and he'll touch your life. So what happened to Saul? He was born again. He was saved. He came to the Lord. Now, if you've been around here for a while and you kind of understand, have some understanding of being born again, if you'll just give me a few moments, I just want to maybe talk to those that are new to religion, you're new to Christianity, maybe you're unsure of, you know, what that, you know, what that term, uh, what that term means. So being born again or being a follower of Jesus, what is it comparable to? What is being born again or being a follower of Jesus, what is it comparable to? So, is it like joining some kind of club? You know, like you, you sign up for a gym and somewhere else they got better equipment, better price, better location. So you just go, you know what? I'm going to change. You know, I'm just going to Start going to church. I mean, I heard Generations Church had free Frother's Daughter on Easter, okay? That's the place where I want to go to church, all right? So is being born again or being a follower of Jesus, is it comparable to just joining some kind of club, just kind of attending church? I think I'll just start going to this church. No, it's not. Is it a higher mental understanding or enlightenment? Some people think if they become more spiritually aware, 
you know, now, I now believe in God. I have some form of belief in God. I now have an emerging and developing religious philosophy. So, man, that just, that must mean something. Well, it might, but it, it doesn't mean that you are a follower of Jesus or that you have been born again. So what's it comparable to? What about a change of doctrine or religious belief? So, you know, maybe if you're Jewish or you're Mormon or Muslim and you just start planting yourself here. Hey, they got some really cool music there. Their social media is pretty good. So I'm just, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to kind of jump over. Is that evidence of being born again? No, that wouldn't be. What about I'm going to make an effort to be a morally better person? I've just kind of been living for my own self, but now I'm more, I'm more aware and I just want to be uh, better morally. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have more of an openness to the homeless and, and to the poor. I'm going to give to foster care opportunities. I'm going to be more environmentally conscious. When I drink a drink and I have a paper straw and it wilts in my cup, I'm not going to be angry any longer. It's just my commitment to being a morally better person. Are all those things evidence of being born again or a follower of Jesus? Are they comparable? And I say no. Because when you come to Jesus, he, he describes it this way in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. It's not just attending church. It's not a greater mental enlightenment. It's not an effort to become a morally and socially better person. It is the transformation of the heart by the power of Jesus Christ. Born again says your soul is renewed. Your heart is transformed. Your sins are forgiven through the power of Jesus Christ. That's what being born again is. It's asking Jesus, going, hey, I need you in my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I, I want you to forgive my sins. It's that kind of simple prayer that, that brings God's transformation into your heart and life. And if you're depending on all those other things, just kind of being faithful to church, trying to be more spiritual, trying to be more morally conscious. Those things may be well and good themselves, but they're not an evidence of being born again. You can't get that spiritual birth with those things. So here is Saul. He is a total wreck of a man. He is lost. He is deceived. He is steeped in anger. He is headed to eternity lost. And he has this experience with the Lord. Let me tell you, I love salvation. I love the fact that God forgives sins and he changes lives. So every stone that Saul cast against a believer was forgiven. Every time he entered a home and he drugged someone out, he was forgiven. Every time he put a person in chains and in prison, uh, God he was, he was forgiven every synagogue that he went in to explore. He was forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's in your past. If you'll give the Lord an opportunity, he will come in and forgive your sin and change your heart. And let me tell you, it is a wonderful, wonderful experience. So if you're raised in church, 
and you're maybe you're away from God, I say to you, come back home this morning. Maybe you come from a different religious belief or you have no religious belief at all. Maybe, uh, you know, may, maybe you've never darkened the door of a church before. I want to say to you this morning, there is a Savior named Jesus and a hill called Calvary and there's a life transformation for you if you'll give him that opportunity. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that the two most prominent people in the New Testament, one of them denied Christ three times, the other persecuted the church. Hey, they don't call it amazing grace for nothing, do they? Give the Lord praise this morning. Give him praise. So, Saul goes to Damascus. He goes to Damascus. He's there with his friends. And here's the next part of the story. All right? So his friends take him there. They're kind of trying to figure out what is, what is the next thing. So, <clears throat> verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love Ananias' response. Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. And all that he has done to harm your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. That made me laugh when I read that. Let me just say, if God tells you to do something, let's just assume that he knows all the details around you know, what he's uh, asked you to do. Let's just make that assumption, okay? So Ananias... He had heard of Saul, okay, and he had some great detail about him in the midst of an era when there's little communication. There's no text. There's no social media. Man, this reputation of Saul and what he was doing was, you know, just kind of all over, all over the area. So Ananias was very aware of the person that he deals with. But when you look at Saul and you look at this story, Everyone needs an Ananias in their life. Everyone needs someone early in their faith journey to support, guide, and encourage them. Everyone needs an Ananias. The church needs people like this who see, who care, and extend a hand, especially when, when you look at them and they are outside the norm of what we normally look like around here. Can I tell you, God saves more than just middle class people. There are people whom God saves that look different. They come from a different social class for, for lack of a better term. Their skin color is different. Their legal background is different. They may have come from an, uh, from an, alternate, an alternate lifestyle, but, but it doesn't matter. Man, the church needs to be there. They need Ananias regardless of the background of people who come to faith in Jesus. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. So when we see someone at the altar... 
or we hear of someone that's new to faith, let's don't default to skepticism first, like Ananias did. Hey, Lord, hey, you really know about this person? Let's don't default to skepticism at first. We need people that, you know, they, they need people that can surround and, and support. And we need to look at people, not what they are now, but what they can be in the future. Ananias did not see a persecutor. He saw a preacher. He did not see, uh, he did not see an adversary of the church. He saw an apostle of the church and he went and he ministered to him. So has God put a young person or maybe a new believer on your heart? Do you have someone that just kind of keeps coming to your mind and just someone maybe you see here or in your life and you're just wondering, man, maybe just God wants me just to pray for them. You know, maybe, maybe it's just a little more. Be a friend. Take someone out to coffee or lunch and share your story with them. Allow them to share their story with you. Please listen. Discipling others is not a church program. It is a relationship by believers built with new believers. You don't have to be assigned. You don't have to be dispatched. Just go love people. Meet with them. Pray with them. Build relationships with them. So I want to ask you in your faith journey, who's your Ananias? Who is your Ananias? Who's the one maybe early in your faith that came and they, 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 they invested in you and they, they, they prayed with you and they built a relationship with you? I'm going to tell you about my Ananias. It's Wayne and Pat Stone. When I got saved, I was a junior in high school. And I had like like a radical conversion, you know, like, man, I am different from the, the time I kneel at the altar to the time I get up. I am 180 the other way. I had friends that were headed down the road to alcohol and mischievousness, and I, I just told them I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. So, I, you know, socially, I just felt, you know, like, you know, what, what do you do? And Wayne and Pat Stone... It was a couple. They would open their home on Friday nights. They had kids from their youth group over, but they invited any other uh, kids, you know, from other churches that just wanted to come to their house on Friday night. So, like, every Friday night, they would open their home. And some of my friends would go, and I started, I started going over there, you know, and listen, I loved it. Number one, they had a pool table, all right? They had a pool table. All right, they, every Friday night, they had fried chicken, fried chicken. No other animal in the world has, has done more for the gospel than the chicken, all right? <laughs> they had fried chicken. They had blueberry dump cake. Some of you don't even know what that is, but it is a little bit of heavenly deliciousness that everyone needs to experience. And then at the end... We have Bible study together, that we would sing songs, we would read the Bible. Then we would just circle around and we would just pray. Man, I'm like 17 years old. I had a home church. I had a home church, all right? But this was like, they were like my Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, I know Sian Sapphira. <laughs> Sorry, wrong person. <laughs> wrong Ananias. 
they didn't make it past chapter five. You'll have to read that. So, jeez. Uh, you know, but I just want to tell you how formative that was just in my life. Over a year, year and a half to have that place to go, to have that safe space. But we would pray together and be people from all over. Church of God, Assemblies of God, Baptist friends. Man, they were just all there. We were just loving the Lord. And I, I look back now, it was probably expensive and to do that every Friday night. But do you know what? <clears throat> Somewhere in heaven, when all those teenagers stand before the Lord and maybe they hear well done in their shadow is going to be Wayne and Pat Stone for many of them. So I'm just saying, <clears throat> I'm just saying to you this morning, you know, keep your eye open. Listen to your, listen to your heart. Maybe God is drawing you to someone that you can play a formative, you know, a formative role, uh, a formative role in. So who's your, who's your Ananias? And if you know who it is, maybe just give them a message and uh, tell them how much you appreciate them. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to be an instrument uh, to, uh, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he sends Ananias and here is the message you know, maybe he's already revealed that to Saul, but here's the message. So I'm sure when Saul hears it, you know, like, suffer for my name, you know, like, I like the first part of that, you know, uh, being in the kings, going to the Gentiles and all that, but suffer for my name. And I want to just talk about this for a moment because there's a part of our walk with Christ that we need, you know, to, there's, a, there's a balance to this because we think salvation is the card of perpetual happiness and abundant prosperity and immunity from all bad things that we get, every job we apply for, every house that we want to get. We get the front parks at Walmart all the time. You know, I see that on social media sometimes. God favored me. I got a front park at Walmart. All right. Well, I just want to say that there is a great numerical probability that if you keep driving around, one will come open. I don't want to rob you of your joy. I'm just saying. How much he must suffer for my name. Let's look at this a little deeper, this relationship with Jesus, because we think only about the blessings that we get of salvation now and eternity in heaven, and that's fine. But there's another part of this that Jesus is very honest about when it comes to things that we may face in this life in our walk with him. So in Matthew 8, he said, Jesus said, then he called the crowd to him with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, and what is a disciple? What is that? It's a person who makes a lifelong commitment to Jesus, learning and living out uh, his teachings and encouraging others to do, do so as well. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, all right? All right, he just, he's, he's just letting us know up front, all right, must deny themselves, your plans, your dreams, sacrifice, you know, out of obedience to God, you allow his plans to become before your plans, to deny yourself, take up your cross, take up your cross. Jesus makes this statement to the disciples, you know, but it's an odd statement to them at the moment 
because he's not dead. So they have no point of reference of what the cross means. So he tells them to take up the cross and it might have kind of gone over the heads of the disciples at the moment. But for you and I, we kind of get, we understand what that is, that the, that the cross and following Jesus becomes our identity. Sometimes our identity is created by jobs or successes or failures. But he said to take up my cross, which means, you know, that the, that the cross is going to be the, the main identity of our life and that we're going to be a follower of Jesus and carrying the cross is not part-time at all and you don't hide it when it becomes in, uh, inconvenient that everybody sees and knows that you're serving and following Jesus. Deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. It means you live out my teachings. You pray, you give, you serve, you forgive, you bless you love. That's what he says, okay? And then he says in verse 27, Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So he said, if you don't, if you don't want to do this, you know, you, you don't have to, but, but you, can't, you can't go, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and just attend church or regularly attend or you're generous with your time or benevolent with your money. If you're going to follow Jesus, man, you confess him with the Lord, but then you carry the cross, whatever that means, over the course of your life. So I said, when we think about being born again in salvation, we think about the eternal, the, the blessings that we get in this life and eternity to come. We get a mansion. We get a crown that we will wear. But I want you to know this morning that before we wear the crown, we've got to carry the cross and it does not work one way without the other. You don't get a crown unless you're willing to carry the cross. C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. He says, we are promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. I accept it. I've got nothing that I haven't bargained for. Of course it's different when, when it happens to oneself and not to others. So I'm just saying to you that Jesus lets us know that, that serving him is not going to always be, you know, a heaven on earth. That there's going to be times of adversity. There's going to be times of struggle. But here is the promise of the Lord that if you call him as Lord and Savior, whatever you walk through, whatever you go through, he's going to be there with you. He's going to grab his hand. He's going to be with you every step. That's his promise. That's his promise. And I want to say this to you. Every sacrifice that you make for the gospel and the Lord, every tear that you shed, every, every, you know, everything that you sacrifice for him, there's going to be, he's going to pay you back one day. It will not be forgotten. Whatever you do for the Lord, it will not be forgotten. In this life or the life to come, he is gonna, he's going to repay you, and that's going to be a great day. That's going to be a great day. Last part of the story. Ananias went to the house. He entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, probably like his hands on his shoulders. The Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. 
He got up, was baptized after taking some food. He regained his strength. So Ananias goes to the house. He probably opens the door very slowly, sticking his head around, not knowing what's, what's about to happen. He sees Saul and he embraces him. Now there were two reasons that God sent Ananias to Saul. You saw it in the passage. One was to pray that his sight would be restored. And the other was to pray for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that was the intent. That's why God sent him so that he would receive his sight and that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the wording says at the end that he was baptized. So we believe that that's the moment when Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. But, you know, if you go with the wording, maybe he was just baptized in water. But we know that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit later. We see self-referencing uh, scriptures in, in 1 Corinthians 14 about that. So I just want to just take a moment as we, as we close. And I want to just uh, speak to those just for a moment who maybe you come out of a background that you were taught differently, you know, about the Holy Spirit, okay, and his work today. Just want to, the, the passage mentions that Saul, the intent was that Saul would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So over the course of this series, I've been, I've been kind of using this because I want to, I, I don't always speak to the same people every week. So just, you know, just uh, grant, uh, uh, give me just a, a moment. So there, there are two views on the Holy Spirit's work today, all right? And I, I gave this last week. There's the cessationist view. That is the view that the workings of the Holy Spirit as expressed in Acts ceased after the days of the apostles or the development of the New Testament. So there are some people that, that believe what happened in Acts was wonderful and it was good, but it was only for that era and that in that season. Now that would encompass like friends of ours that are Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian. And I just want to say, man, even with a few differences that we have, they are our brothers and sisters, our evangelical brothers and sisters in Christ. We just might view this just a little bit differently. So there's the cessationist that it's done at the era, uh, at the you know the era of the apostles or the coming of the New Testament, there is the continualist view that the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, as represented in Acts, continue after the era of the apostles into today. That would be us. We are evangelical in every way. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, salvation by faith, Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, the, the coming, the coming of the Lord. We are evangelical in every way, but we are continualist in that we believe that the work of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts is still is still for today. That the healings that took place in Acts are still for today. The signs and wonders that we saw in Acts are still to this, are, are still for today. The explosion of Evangelism and missions still happens today, and the and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still available today. That's our that's our that's our belief. So we see this experience mentioned in Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 9, where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, there were when or really in Luke 24, all the apostles are in the upper room. 
And, and these are good people. They're, they're spiritual people. It's all the disciples. They're in the upper room. And Luke, the bottom part of Luke 24, he says, hey, go into Jerusalem. I want you to be, uh, to, to wait. And I want you to be filled. You know, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So all of these wonderful people who were growing in their faith, they love Jesus. They go to the upper room at Jesus' command. And I want to say, why did he send them? And for what? purpose, okay? Why did he send these good people, these spiritual people, these Jesus-loving people? Why did they send them for, for this moment? So, so let me just say, you may have questions about the, the theology of, of uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit. You may have questions about the practice of the Holy Spirit. And I say that's, that's fine. There's not a problem with that. But I just say, if you have questions about it, don't disregard the entire thing because you do. So I want to encourage you to ask, read, and explore. So I have a little homework for you if you come out of a little bit different background, okay? And that's fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. I have a little homework for you. Ask, read, and explore. And here's some things that I want you to kind of read over and study. I want you to look at Jesus' words and experiences with the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? What was his interaction with the Holy Spirit while he was here on the earth? I want you to read Luke 24, especially the latter part of that. And I just want you to read the entire book of Acts. I would, you, you, no commentary. You just read, just read and just read it. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Read those passages as well. And then I would say, what are your conclusions? What are you, what are you seeing when you read those passages? And also, especially if you come out of a different, <clears throat> a different background, do you see with clarity and specificity the announced end of the activities of the Holy Spirit as seen in the book of Acts? So do you see that mentioned at all? So, Got a little homework for you, you know, so it's some good, good reading, part of your, uh, part of your, uh, you know, uh, uh, devotions over the next few days. Brent, worship team, uh, you guys can come. You guys can come. Ed Stetzer, Ed Stetzer uh, works at Wheaton College. He is uh, the Billy Graham Chair of Evangelism at Wheaton College. And this is Ed Stetzer's uh, comment. He says, more and more, evangelicals, and Ed would, Ed, you know, we wouldn't agree with everything that Ed believes, but here's his comment. More and more evangelicals are indeed continualist. Simply put, the belief in signs and gifts seems to be a mainstream view now. I'd not be surprised if it's a, uh, a majority view. So I, I want to say if you're here and you come out of a different background, number one, you're, you're welcome to go here. There's no forced, you know, there's no forced doctrine here. But if you do go here, man, and you've sensed God's power and presence and, and you are confident in the evangelical, you know, foundational part of, you know, of, of, our, of our beliefs, then I just ask you to explore it. And then if you come to the conclusion, hey, there may be a possibility of it, I ask you then to consider praying for it and ask God to maybe uh, reveal some things to you in your life. So Ananias, he goes, he completes his mission. And now, you know, the Apostle Paul, he gets his sight restored. 
baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit at some point, and we're going to kind of read what, what he does a, a little bit later. So I want to just kind of you know, close this way. We talked about earlier in the message about our faith in Christ and, and coming to the Lord. And, you know, maybe uh, there, there are people of all kinds of different backgrounds and beliefs. And, and, and uh, you know, our, our spiritual lives are different. You know, some, this may be a spiritual high moment. Some of you, it may be a, a difficult, you know, maybe difficult moment. I want to read you. I want to read you a, a, a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis, all right? C.S. Lewis, he lived several decades before, but he was raised kind of agnostic and atheist in his belief. He was college educated. He was a, uh, you know, he was a, a, a professor that had this intellectual antagonism to the gospel. So sometimes... Especially if you go through a secular university, sometimes you'll find, you know, that there's this, uh, you know, antagonistic quality and maybe your spiritual formation about or what you've learned about or thought about God or Jesus has come, you know, from your academic formation or even maybe what you've seen, you know, maybe what you've seen on social media. Okay. C.S. Lewis was one of, was one of those raging kind of atheist, but he was open. He was open. And I want to read you this, this quote because he began to kind of, kind of search, open, pray, and just kind of explore, you know, uh, what being a follower of Jesus meant. And here's the, the quote. He says, You must picture me alone in my room, night after night, feeling whatever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. Love it. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. I gave in and admitted that God was God. I knelt and prayed and perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He realized with all of his beliefs, all of his life, he came to the intellectual and spiritual belief in God and the person of Jesus. <laughs> was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Okay? I just want to say, I want to say to you today, Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. It doesn't matter what, you know, what state of life you're in. You may be experiencing good things. Sometimes our life is bottom, bottomed out. Maybe there's, maybe things are going well for you, but there's this part of your heart that's still empty, you know, and, and I want to tell you, it will always stay empty until you allow the Lord to get in that, in that part of your heart. I want to pray and um, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head in just a moment. I want to, I want to just tell you this up front. If you're away from the Lord, maybe you're never giving your life to Jesus. I like to frame it this way. If you'll do three things, God will do three things. If you'll do three things, admit, you know, that you need God in your life, believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross and confess your sins to him. If you'll do, do those three things, then God will do three things for you, all right? He'll give you forgiveness of sin. 
He'll wipe away whatever you've done. He'll give you a new life, give you life transformation, second chapter, and he'll give you eternal life. You'll know that when you stand before the Lord, you're ready to meet, you're ready to meet the Lord. And if you'll do those three things, then God's going to do three things for you. Man, you have a wonderful you know, life with the Lord. If you'll bow your heads with me this morning. Worship team's going to sing in just a second. Lord, I pray and I thank you that an old wretched man like Saul, persecutor of the church, Lord, you loved him and you gave him grace. Lord, maybe his sins in some way were greater than anyone else, but Lord, that didn't turn you away because you loved him. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray today, I pray for those that are in this congregation that may be away from you, they've never accepted you. I pray today, Lord, that you would open, you would open your heart, they would open their heart and their life to you today. I pray the Holy Spirit, Lord, would draw, Lord, they would sense your touch and your peace. And Lord, we just give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you would say, Pastor, I'm not where I should be with the Lord this morning, and I just want to make things right, make Jesus my Savior and Lord. Just right where you're at, just raise your hand up and down really quick and just say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? Thank you. Would you just uh, real quick, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm just not where I should be with God this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand? The worship team's going to sing. We're going to do like we always do. We're going to open these altars. If you want to come pray and someone will come pray with you. If you want to give your life to Christ. If you need a healing and a miracle, you want to come stand in for someone. You're going through a tough spot in your spiritual life and you just need prayer and encouragement from an Ananias. These altars are open. We want you to come. Brent, lead us in a song of worship this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.